you know, there's all this talk in the news about China having my data from TikTok. And then maybe America has my data. Everybody wants my data. What are you going to do with it? Look at it. Giggle a little. Maybe get a little crush on me. Have it. I want you to. I don't give a shit about it. I will, everybody should have my data. I'm great. Hey, fun fans, it's We Enjoy coming at you with our final Dead by Donathon episode, our final regular Dead by Donathon episode, because there will be a special one for Evil Dead Rise this week with Ash versus Evil Dead in the main event. We have the Mattitude Eric. I am Matt Fowler. Say hello, Eric Goldman. Hello, everybody watching Evil Dead. Um, Eric, are you gearing up for a weekend of wrestling? Maybe, perhaps, hopefully. I mean, I'm definitely gearing up for a weekend of wrestling. Um, uh, Uh, Eric and I, so uh, inside baseball here, Eric and I just sort of like lamented the loss at the company of our longstanding PR, WWE PR guys, media handler guys Mm -hmm. who worked for the company actually both for very long periods of time and were recently um, let go uh, one a few years ago and one just recently. And they were our key contacts with WWE from everything from like big pay-per-views that we recover as press to, Hey, uh, you know, obviously just like comp tickets when Raw's in town or something like that. But now it's just a black hole. <laughs> well, no, like, I mean, I have uh, sympathy for the people who are, have taken on their roles because they have a shitload of shit to do. Uh, it's just when you like, you know, had a relationship with someone and now it's like, you know, then this person doesn't know you because how would they, uh, it's just like, you know, I like, don't know you, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing a, yeah, I'll be going to SmackDown Friday night and WrestleMania on Saturday and Sunday. I think that's it. I'm not going to do Raw Monday. Uh, I, I, in the old days, I do it all. I'd be like, I'm doing yeah, it well, all. <laughs> well, the other thing is the old days, it's like you and I would maybe go to a place and it's like, yeah. why not? Why not do it all? But this is your, this is your home. Like you like, you're like, my bed is right there. Why would I keep and, doing and, these things? And it being my home, it's also like, it's, it's it, interestingly, it's more daunting when you know the hassle of getting around, right? Right. Like you, like, you know, because almost everything's downtown except for Mania itself, which is in Englewood at, uh, you know, place. Eric, like- I thought it was in Hollywood. It's in I've Hollywood. seen the posters for <laughs> WrestleMania. It's clearly WrestleMania yeah. goes Hollywood. Um, But yeah, so, uh, it, you know, I, just even thinking that I'm going to go downtown for several days in a row, like, uh, like I have to deal with that. Honestly, um, I mean, that's probably keeps you away from that Alamo draft house more than you'd oh, like it to. I'm dating a hundred percent to the point that I canceled my um, monthly subscription because I just wasn't using enough. And I totally would if they, if they were there, you know, I meant to mention this to you as before show business, but I'll mention it to you while we're recording. I said, almost said live, but obviously we're not putting this up live. Um, but we should, we'll, we'll, I think we can commit to, we'll have a, we enjoy wrestling post mania. Uh, I don't know if we'll actually do it Sunday night. It may be. No, we will not do it Sunday night. Cause okay. I will be at a Depeche mode concert. Oh, you, that's right. That's right. Cause you don't care about wrestling. Yeah, the, <laughs> the actual reason I'm not going to Los Angeles for WrestleMania this year, my first WrestleMania that I will have missed in 14 years, Eric, first one. I know. Okay, that makes it more uh, difficult. Because, yeah. That, that Depeche Mode is actually Sunday night, because I didn't even know if it was Saturday night or Sunday night, because my 
follow-up was like, oh, we'll record it first thing Monday, but I don't know if you'll have seen Mania nope. by then. Nope. Uh, and then I'm out <laughs> Monday night. I got a double feature at the new Bev. I'm seeing you're next. Um, but uh, uh, so we'll have to figure this out. But I do think we should do one. It's just, of course, it just feels like, because once we do it after the Raw, after Mania, it's going to be already like catching up, but we'll figure it out, folks. We'll have one for you. We'll have a post-Mania podcast uh, yeah but minutes. like maybe it's like only 30 minutes and like uh yeah i don't know that's because yeah, that's the thing <laughs> i don't know when i'll see if saturday night in san antonio i will be watching the saturday night, you know saturday night's <laughs> media i know who, i won't be who watching are you matt who are you <laughs> well it's a road trip down to uh alamo town um so anyway yeah that that uh that will delay my viewing i will try to watch all nine hours of wrestling as <laughs> soon as I humanly can All right. for podcast purposes. All right. Um, but in the meantime, I'm doing a pod with my best friend. So let's do this podcast. Let's get into some entertainment news here. Uh, Marvel related. It's all Marvel this week. Uh, let's do both good news in very different ways yes uh, yes <laughs> what both both are things we've been waiting for for a long time honestly <laughs> one feeds into sort of the the i don't know there's sort of like forward-facing controversy at marvel studios these days even though this isn't marvel studios related per se uh much more so than we're used to from marvel studios it's not because we talked about the vfx um executive who was fired uh last week yeah, but this week someone <laughs> there's a good firing happening, which is I, that, I, I mean we should say there's a shitload of layoffs happening. Well, is Disney. Disney Disney regardless is laying off yeah. seven thousand people? Yes, uh, per Bob Iger saying that they're like reconfiguring the company. You yeah, know, all the corporate rhetoric they usually use when layoffs are coming, and, and it's already affected people I tangentially know and like, which was kind of inevitable. And this man is not one of those people. And this is, but but you have to take in the midst of a really depressing thing, and you know every company having its goddamn layoffs, and as sad that is, you try to take your victories when you can. And yeah. So, so in, amidst this strategic realignment of the company, um, Ike Perlmutter, yes. the absolute shit stain CEO of Marvel Entertainment, is gone. Uh, finally, finally, uh, after all these years. Um, Yes, we can breathe uh, a little freer these days. And uh, yeah, for those who don't know, um, Perlmutter is um, <laughs> a polarizing figure in politically uh, as far uh, as yeah. uh, <laughs> the way, you know, his alt-right leanings and his pushback against uh, actual diversity in the MCU, making movies just like, even like movies like Black Panther and Captain Marvel, like taking a lot longer to come to screen because of the friction that he had with Kevin Feige over these issues. And oh, uh, yeah. with him saying, um, I don't want to make superhero movies about black people and women. No one will pay to see them. I wouldn't pay to see them. Yep. So why would, why would uh, we make those what movies? What I'm saying is that he's a great guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. This, uh, I mean, yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's a look him up. If you don't know who we're talking about, he owned Marvel from the late nineties until they sold it to Disney but he stayed on like, you know, as part of the deal that it was like he would stay on running Marvel. Um, but then in a kind of very notable like Hollywood rift moment, Feige, who hated working under because he was also besides being a reprehensible person with terrible beliefs, uh, 
and you know and and his beliefs affecting his business decisions in stupid ways he also was notoriously cheap and stingy and there were very there are like funny stories because they're so outrageous about how cheap he was and like you know digging through trash cans for paper clips and you know uh um, making sure there was like the most minimal things possible at like the the first Iron Man junket and whatnot, because he was running Marvel Studios. And even after Disney bought Marvel, he was running Marvel Studios. Kevin Feige was the guy making all the creative decisions, but he had to answer to Ike. And eventually he, a huge rift happened because I uh, Feige was like, I can't work for this guy anymore. And he had enough power at that point to split off to get Disney to split Marvel Studios away from Marvel so he wouldn't have to answer to him anymore. This was what, 2015? 15 or 16, yeah. 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 Uh, but Ike was still there and still running Marvel, still running all the, the comic books and the TV shows. And then a few years ago, he lost a lot more power when a lot more went over to Feige and the TV shows and the comic book creative all went under Feige. So basically all the creative stuff. But he was still there and he was still running like merch and different aspects of it. Um, it felt like he would always be there, so I was I was kind of amazed to see this news come out today. Well, but I was not. Eric, this turd it. clown is now gone. He is uh, free from our. Uh, from, just you don't have to uh, let him occupy space in your mind anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll hear about him once in a while, I'm sure, as he advises Trump. But uh, yeah, he he's gone, <laughs> and I'll just say, you know, look, you know, I worked for Marvel for a couple years, and we, and. And I worked for Marvel, not Marvel Studios. And this was before, um, you know, Marvel Studios took the TV and stuff under their wing. And so Ike was our boss. Never met the guy. Never encountered him, thank God. But I not only did I hear about him, I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but just to say his cheapness affected my job. Like, I, I it, it, it trickled down to that because he was such a, not a micromanager because he wasn't managing, but just the fact that he would like... M- make every little thing difficult on like a budget thing, even for things that were like you, you think would be normal and just practical. Of course we're doing that. Um, and I have a lot of stories I won't share cause they're not my stories again, because I never personally encountered him, but people I worked with had a lot of great, I say great in air quotes cause they were awful. Have a lot of Ike stories. I won't share them because it's their stories to share. Uh, but I just would say that I worked with a lot of great people at Marvel and I am happy for the people that are still there uh, that they don't have to work under him at all anymore. The ones that still did. Um, this was uh, this was the Ewoks Yubnub celebration. <laughs> as far as hearing someone was, uh, was the out. original Yubnub can't beat it. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, it's like look, it just it's, it is what it is. Like Matt and I worked together at IGN at a time when IGN was owned by News Corp and Rupert Murdoch was our top, 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 top corporate boss. Um, you know, it's like, but he know. would, but the difference is Rupert Murdoch would come in and actually advise us how to cover Battlestar Galactica. Remember, he was a huge <laughs> fan. Yeah. And he was like, Chuck, I'm really excited. He's like, I really, you, I really want you to cover this show, Chuck. Also, uh, I'm reprehensible, but I do love Chuck. Um, no, uh, um, uh, but he, uh, it's he like, you should do weeklies of burn notice. Yeah. Like, I think, the right. diff- I think the difference was that uh, Rupert Murdoch didn't give a shit about like you know he didn't he didn't know we existed whereas i did know people existed at marvel because he was looking at every single thing on like a budget sheet uh either way sometimes you have to work for shitty people because you want to work uh and i'm glad when people i know and like don't have to work for shitty people so but again we're talking about like um top of the pyramid shittiness where yeah yeah. like you don't meet them because they're you know um uh basically king tut 
Yeah, so, I did. Uh, uh, I did. Uh, he was, you know, less and less even in the New York office. He was like living in Florida most of the time. But one time uh, I was working out of the New York office at Marvel for New York Comic Con with a couple of my coworkers from L.A. in like the days leading up to New York Comic Con. And one of my coworkers went to the bathroom and she came back and she's like, I just saw Ike by the elevator. <laughs> like she she had a, a close encounter. <laughs> she did yeah, not that's speak like, to him. <laughs> that's like seeing, that's like actually uh, encountering one of the ghosts on a ghost tour that they tell you live in the house. <laughs> right, it changes like, you. oh my God, I saw the little girl they said lives in the corridor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so Ike's gone. And then <laughs> in um, actual different good news for Marvel, this being actual... Marvel Studios. Uh, yeah, it was announced that Liv Tyler is reprising a role as Betty Ross. Betty! Who uh, <laughs> not only is... Uh, Betty is not only my favorite Helmet album, it is also <laughs> a character who hasn't been seen in the MCU since 2008 uh, when The Incredible Hulk came out and she portrayed Betty Ross, Thunderbolt Ross's daughter. Obviously, Thunderbolt Ross, we've already covered, is being recast by Harrison. He's going to be played by Harrison Ford in both Captain America New World and because of William Hurt's uh, passing away yeah which we also covered separately <laughs> yeah. that was a separate thing and then the Harrison Ford casting but yeah so she's coming back which you know is icing on a cake that already involves um the leader actually coming back mm. for Captain America New World Order as well so we'll see Samuel Stern return and Tim Blake Nelson is uh was already announced for that role and reprising his role from, from again from this these are, this is a movie that was 15 years ago at this two place. actors who <laughs> were in this movie in 2008 and never came back to the MCU will be back in this movie. It is you know Betty was one of those things that she was she was conspicuous not only by her absence but but they never even mentioned her right like Bruce never was like you know oh when Betty and I were together whatever happened to Betty and especially because her dad. Did come like you know Thunderbolt Ross was the first character, but first also actor like they brought with, back. But like with Ruffalo, you know, for a handful of movies there, it was him and Nat, right? Yeah. Like it was Bruce and Nat, and that was the thing. And like you wouldn't even think Betty existed, really. But that's what I'm saying is like they yeah. could have mentioned her, but they didn't. Then it was funny because um, what if did that episode? It was one of their first episodes that was the uh, that took place partially. During the events of the Incredible Hole, right? Because there was the the when he gets killed at the college. Yes, yeah, and was not, not, it, obviously we're talking about the What If episode, not the actual Incredible yes. Hulk movie. But but it was fascinating know. for a couple of reasons. One was Mark Ruffalo getting to play the Bruce Banner in that during, scenario in, in that right. in the Ed Norton era, and yeah. B acknowledging Betty existed because it wasn't Liv Tyler, but Betty was in that episode, and so it was the first time that Betty was you know modern mcu was using her at all so it was like okay they remember she exists um and then as they started to bring back you know the abomination and then they announced that the leader was coming she was kind of this big like will she come back like you know glaring thing so uh it's definitely fun uh right now we don't know that mark ruffalo is in this movie but now that she's back if they don't have her and ruffalo in some project together it would be ridiculous so it would be a I little assume. ridiculous also at what what is the tipping point what what point do we go to the streets to demand <laughs> sam rockwell back as justin hammer do we know if he's in armor wars do they say uh anything? we don't know anything about that um, i thought we were taking to the streets as you were doing build-up for ty burrell because he's the last any significance actor from sure. incredible hole yeah, for ty burrell yeah uh because true. he was uh yeah he was leonard sampson set up to be doc sampson so everyone else who had like a significant 
uh, role in that movie and a significant like setting up for the future role is now back. Uh, so justice for Doc Samson is what I'm saying. I mean, as long as we're in the streets, we can also, you know, pick it for Ty Burrell. But yeah, like I, I mean, it's funny because I interviewed him for Muppets Most Wanted, which I think was like, what, 2014? And I asked him at the, that point about, do you think you'll ever come back? And he's like, I think it's been too long. But of course, that's years before all these other co-stars of his have come back. Well, okay, there's a sweet <laughs> spot. So we can argue there's a sweet spot, right? Right. Like, uh, maybe that was too long at that point. You either have to be like, strike right as the iron's hot or wait long enough that it's like a legacy return. Right, right. That's the deal. You can't like because four years later for a Shazam sequel, that wasn't the magic number, was it? No, no, it was not. So you either do two years later or you do over ten years later. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta figure it out. No, I mean, like I mentioned this in passing a minute ago, but it's like, yeah, when when the Civil War cast was announced and William Hurt was in it, that was a huge shock at the time because it felt like no actor was ever going to come back from Incredible Hulk, and then he did, and he did several movies until his death. Uh, so yeah, never count them out. Uh, Justin Hammer will return, is what we're saying at some point. I wish it said that at the end of Iron Man 2. I wish it said <laughs> Justin Hammer will return. I mean, we did see him one more time after that, but it's been a while. So, all right. Um, yeah, that's our uh, good time, fun time Marvel news. Uh, and then let's get into oh, you know what? I didn't even prep properly for this episode even though we do have a few write-ins i didn't pull them up so let me while you're doing that i do want to say i uh, i'm going to rogue a little bit here just say we're we're not going to talk about the jonathan majors thing just because we feel like it's not good time news but also it's like we kind of want to wait and see on this like where is this going it, you know if if the accusations are true it's awful and we feel if he if he if if he loses the role of kang we'll we'll talk about it <laughs> yeah like yeah if it, like if it creates actual ripples throughout the uh marvel studios entertainment films. ripples in the meantime yeah it's like yeah uh, it's it's a terrible situation uh, and we'll see what happens next with that. Okay. Um, so Joe uh, wrote right into our Patreon, and you could be a Patreon patron, a Hudson Hawk member, perhaps, uh, and get commercial-free episodes of this podcast, along with the bonus episodes, also commercial-free, where we talk about movies that are out in theaters, the next of which, I believe, on our docket is Evil Dead Rise. Yes? Is there something else before that? Oh, uh, I think that's probably the next one. Okay, probably. if, if anything changes, we'll let you know. Probably. Um, because I don't even know, like, I have to look at, like, when's that versus, like, when the Mandalorian season ends. We'll probably do one for the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. might be, yeah what, yeah, what ends first. Because I think that, how many episodes are there? There's the only three left. just aired. Yeah, yeah, there's only three left, so. Okay, so it might just line up around the same time anyhow. Yeah. Um. Okay, so... I think just one write-in from Joe on Patreon, and it's about... Eric playing video games. So let's see if this is even germane. Let's see how let's see how much how much this detours us. Uh, Joe writes in. I just had a quick game tip for Eric for when he mm. plays Last of Us Part Two eventually. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to find a PS Five a while back, and after watching the first few episodes of the show, I bought the Last of Us Remaster, which added some of the accessibility options from Part Two. I was thinking about when Eric said he was looking for a door and couldn't find it. Eric, I think that's when you were going around the snow. In uh, in the cannibal camp, yeah. Um, one maybe there's a couple that it all blurs together because there was multiple times I got frustrated by like yeah not being able to find I did I did have the cannibal camp snow incident 
much earlier when I stopped for a long time, I was just stuck in like a back alley. Like it's like, you know, you walk outside and now you're supposed to like find a way out of like it's all like fenced in. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I just couldn't find my goddamn way out of this alley. And I just gave up for a few months. That's kind of like the way you were in New York, when you lived in New York and couldn't find your way out of alley. <laughs> That's right. I just gave up. <laughs> you just gave up and sat down. Sat in down on the ground. It was like, all fuck right. this. Yeah. So, uh, but so Joe says that with the accessibility options uh, for uh, part two, you there's a place you can swipe on the touchpad and it will color contrast all the interactable items, doors mm. and enemies in the game. And you can do that when you're like stuck in an alley and need to find out the thing you need to touch or call upon or pick or break or whatever. Anyway, that is Joe's handy tip for that when is you a good pro tip. Uh, and I'm I, I am gonna play The Last of Us two this year. I will make that vow. It will not be. I'm not gonna give it the gap between games <laughs> to make up for how long I took uh, to play the first one. And I have learned not to make vows anymore because I didn't even come through in my first. You vows. failed your vows, but <laughs> oh, and more ways than one because I'm divorced. All right, so, okay, so Aww. it's all right. It was good. It was a good divorce. <laughs> it was a good divorce. It was. It was a great. Honestly, it was a great. Divorce. <laughs> That's a good Pretty title. Good. The great Pretty divorce. Okay, so um, all right. Let's get let's get right into our good things to enjoy. Uh, Eric, I'm going to go first here. Uh, yours is more connected to our actual uh, main event today, so mm-hmm. I'll save yours for after. And it's another, and it's one that I also heartily agree with. Mine was I was sort of scouring for something, and this is a movie I watched recently, so I'll recommend it. But I'm going to preface all this by saying the show that I actually binged this week, I won't recommend. Why <laughs> I binged it? Why did I binge it? I don't know. It's very brainless. It's easy. It's breezy. It's cover girl. It's a show called The Night Agent on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I'm not rocking. This is not which my good ju- thing to Which just got renewed for season two. It did. It got picked up because it is for dads by dads. It is the epitome of it actually is uh, like a an airport paperback that your dad would buy and read on an airplane. It's a political thriller. Uh, it even has the the uh, dad novel font on it, the night agent, like you know the font, uh, the James Patterson sure, sure. font. And it's it's just um, it's it's a, it's something that you'd think Kiefer Sutherland would star in. It, it's just uh, an agent who uncovers a plot to kill either this person or the president or something, and then he's framed and he's on the run with someone who's also a target. And all I wanted from them was sex. I wanted them to have sex. I was in it. I was like, I'm going to watch this until these two have sex. And I don't necessarily even know why I wanted them to fuck because the two leads don't have chemistry. They're not great. I'm saying this show is very <laughs> mid card. I mean, uh, it's funny. I mean, I haven't seen it and I have no thoughts on it. I will say it's from Sean Ryan who's made a ton of yeah, things. No, that, and that's one of the things that sort of got me in. I was like, oh, well, yeah. if Sean Ryan did it, I'm, I'll check it out. But you know what? When you make things for Netflix, you don't tend to bring your A game. <laughs> this is a solid B minus game. And if you look, if you want something that moves and is a, I think I've said on this podcast and perhaps that the, the genre that has been ruined for me the most after the last presidential administration is the conspiracy political thriller. Things Mm. like the Pelican Brief or John Grisham novels or something like, if this leaks to the press, 
this entire administration is ruined. Oh, right, right, right. That yeah. is gone. I don't yeah. believe anything. I don't think anything will come out in a movie that can ruin a politician. Uh, uh, any like yeah, all that is gone anyway. So this harkens back to that simpler time from maybe six years ago when you can still get into a, a conspiracy uh, thriller like this. Oh, it's it's funny you mentioned that because when I went to see um, the Blade trilogy at the New Bev and they showed only Wesley Snipes trailers all night. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, and, the 1600. Yeah, Murder 1600. There was other ones. He did other conspiracy theory ones, but it's just like it's just funny to watch trailers when it's like this is an audio recording of like sex in the White House, like like uh, like all these trailers that are just like, oh my god, this will take down the White House. And yeah, like you said, it's like yeah, we're exactly. so this we're nothing so will take cheated. down a White House. It just doesn't work. <laughs> It stars Gabriel Basso, who you've seen in things, perhaps. It stars Lucien Buchan- Lucianne Buchanan, who you may have seen in things. All these people have been in things. The most Hong notable Chow name- is in it. I love Hong Chao. Okay, so that's the thing. The most notable <laughs> name in this right now is Hong Chao, because Hong Chao is very much of the moment with yeah. the Watchmen and the menu and the, the even the episode of Poker Face and all that. So Hong Chao is actually- The whale, all of them. A lot, yeah. So she's a very prominent character, and- when you watch this TV show, uh, she turns out to be the exact character you think her character is going to turn out to be. This is a very predictable show. Hmm. I'll also say that um, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Uh, Sarah Desjardins or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, she plays the prickly, angry-ish daughter of the vice president on this show while also playing the prickly, angry-ish daughter of uh melanie melanie linsky on yellow jackets at the same time so she's oh, yeah. on a show right now that's happening mm-hmm. uh you can watch her be mad uh that her parents are murderers on both two different shows <laughs> <laughs> and well, uh you, gotta, and, you found your thing you do it and uh db woodside is in this who was on buffy ding okay buffy so, and 24 okay uh as much as I've talked about the show, I'm not. I, know, I was gonna it. say, I was gonna say, you're just you're talking about the show. No, no, but I'm saying that this is the reason why I had to scramble to find a thing uh, that I did like recently because I wait. I didn't waste my time. Look, I I chose to go all in on this. Uh, it's another. It's also a weird show, Eric, because it feels like a made-for-TV show, like network TV. Mm-hmm. But they say fuck every once in a while, and it's very jarring mm-hmm. because it's. For Netflix, so they could use, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, foul language, but it doesn't feel like a foul language show. And like, because the sex scene that these two ev- eventually have isn't a sex scene, they kiss and they fall on a bed and then it cuts away and it feels like network TV. So it is weird. Okay. <laughs> My recommendation is Terminator Dark Fate, which I finally caught after hearing pretty good things about it a few years ago when it came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. And this movie is good. I thought the effects were good. I thought the action was good. And it moves like a Terminator movie. And it feels like a Terminator movie. And it follows the Terminator movie formula, which is Terminator sent back. Someone's on the run. Other person protects them. They run, run, run. There's a big pause in the middle of the movie. And then at the end, there's a big action climax where they run, run, run again. Uh, four movies so far have gotten this right. And the two movies that didn't are the one Terminator movies that sucked. <laughs> Yes. So <laughs> as long as you can follow the Terminator formula, it works. Um, uh, I think, I don't know if you and I have talked about Rise of the Machines on the show, but you have recommended uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles as your good thing to enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
So in the multiverse that exists after T2, so there's Terminator, there's T2, and then you could go three different actual satisfactory ways, like satisfying <laughs> ways. One, Sarah dies and John remains, and you've got Rise of the Machines. Another plays into some things from Rise of the Machines, but it's still, but you follow John and Sarah and it's the TV show. Three, John dies and it's Sarah. And it's yeah. decades later too, because this is a legacy sequel and it's a whole new thing happening. I think they all work as sort of like choose your own adventure. You know what I mean? I think they, you know, yeah. if, and but James Cameron made this very specifically as a sequel to T2. He didn't direct it. James Cameron will never direct anything that is not Avatar these days for the rest <laughs> of his life. Yeah. And because he is all consumed, it's all Avatar all the time. There are a couple movies in the last decade that he farmed out, like executive produced and was a big part of the shaping of the story. And one was Alita Battle Angel, which was the movie he almost made before he made Avatar. Mm -hmm. So he came down to between Alita and Avatar and he chose Avatar back in the aughts. And that went to Robert Rodriguez. And then the other one was the an actual Terminator follow-up, Terminator Dark Fate. Which, which was the before, first time he'd been involved in the series since the second film. Since yeah. T2. And then uh, Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool, directed this movie. Uh, it was the movie he directed after Deadpool. And it stars, uh, yeah, it's got Linda Hamilton reprising her role. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Terminator, not the one from T2, because he gave a thumbs up and went into the molten lava. Uh, and it's got um, Mackenzie Davis, who is the uh, non-Terminator, but a super soldier sent back from the future this time. She's human to protect um, a character played by Natalia Reyes, who is um, a Colombian actress who does mostly Colombian things, mm -hmm. except for this. As far as I know, this was, I think, her only kind of, maybe, I don't know. But the, she hasn't done much um, actual American productions. But... She's sort of the Sarah Connor here on the run. And I think it works. And also Gabriel Luna, who you just see on The Last of Us as Tommy, uh, is the sort of evil Terminator that's sent back. And uh, he's a, a spinoff of the T-1000 with the liquid metal, but he's got a few other tricks up his sleeve. And I think it worked and I had a good time. I wish I caught it in the theater, but you know. Yeah, no, I, I quite enjoy this movie. Um, I don't almost don't almost want to say too much because at some point we've got to do the Terminator series uh, on this podcast. But uh, no, it's it's a very enjoyable movie that I completely understand why it underperformed because there have just been too many disappointing Terminators at that point. And especially like when, was, when was Genesis? Genesis like, was four like years. Was, Genesis was yeah. four years before this, and same studio. And honestly, at a glance, you would think, oh, is this the sequel to Genesis? Because the big difference, of course, is that Linda Hamilton came back for this one. But they, you know, the posters are otherwise pretty similar. Arnold is on it, but he's older. They're not trying to hide that he's an older, you know, they they write into the script that he's a Terminator that can age. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it, it felt probably to a lot of people like, oh, another one after Genesis, which was not good and badly received. So I totally get why... This was just going to the well too many times, even though it was a good movie. Um, but like you said, Terminator is like Halloween now has this crazy multiverse with more than one good route. <laughs> but it's yeah, just no, no, like, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is like you can yeah. pick 
your poison here, which is to say Rise of the Machines, good movie. Mm-hmm. Sarah Connor Chronicles, great TV show. Yeah, This is also a good movie. Like you can yep. go any direction you want. It's just, and honestly, for the most part, it depends on who you want dying and who you want going forward. Right. The story. But again, it's like, yeah, if, if there had not been any other Terminator since T2 and this was the first big legacy sequel, I think this would have been a big deal. Uh, the thing about the Terminator after Genesis is, is like it, this the big deal was supposed to be Linda Hamilton's back mm-hmm. and also J- James Cameron is back and they're back together. Yeah. By this point, what's to what would have informed the broad movie going public that James Cameron wasn't involved in the other previous two? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, to the point, to the point, I will say that he was involved with Salvation. They Genesis. got him to endorse Genesis. He he filmed like a even though he had nothing to do with the production oh, of it. That movie's so bad. It's very bad. But for whatever reason, if he was friends with someone, I don't know, he did do a like sit down, like you know, I'm just hammered it. I endorse Genesis, um, which was terrible. Um, but yeah, so I, again, yeah, people at a glance aren't going to know all this stuff. They're just going to know that there's been a lot of Terminator and they haven't liked a lot of recent Terminator. Uh, and I totally get it. Uh, it was interesting also because, like you said, it's like at this point, Cameron was only directing Avatar movies. Um, he and Miller had a lot of clashing making this movie. They've talked they about did. it. And they, yeah. They've tried yeah. to be kind of pretty diplomatic about like, you know, not I hate you forever, but like, you know, we have different ideas. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's a fun movie. It's a good movie. Um and uh and it I follows do think... the terminator formula that works right like, it does it why. does but yeah. but uh it does i mean look inevitably there will be more terminator it's just one of those titles they'll never let die but it might be a time to like really start over i saw james cameron say recently he thought that maybe one of the reasons it didn't do well is because it had both linda hamilton and arnold schwarzenegger like Maybe it was too beholden to the past. And again, I think he's right only with the caveat that they had just brought Arnold back, you know, in the in Genesis that had been and a big he deal. He was still kind of a part of salvation in a way. So yeah, yeah. He never left. He never yeah, left. Yeah. And show, so, so and so conceptually, I understand that they did try with salvation to like move away and and although it still followed John Connor, but I think conceptually, the next time they do Terminator, there might have to be a real sort of ground up uh i mean i say they tried doing a tv show again huh i mean they they almost remember when genesis was happening they were developing a tv show concurrently uh and um it was uh zach sense was involved in that who had written for sarah connor chronicles uh it was one of those times like with the dark tower where there was these grand ideas for like movies and tv shows and they're all gonna like intertwine but it didn't really take off but yeah and uh, uh anyway mackenzie davis is also awesome uh she is, it just reminds a, me to also man. recommend to you station 11 one of my favorite tv i guess it was a mini series you should say a limited event series special event series from the past couple years i love that and also uh blade runner 2049 and a host of other things but yeah she's really good um, um as the <laughs> super soldier here uh no it's oh and be- san junipero obviously the awesome black mirror episode that mm-hmm. everyone should watch even if you don't watch black mirror you should check out that episode of that show which you can because it's an anthology series you can just hop right in and out all right eric uh i i just i've already set you up for your good thing to enjoy but first i'm gonna talk for a few minutes about something i didn't like at all no i'm not no no go ahead. <laughs> no I, I have nothing i have nothing <laughs> um no, no and i i've already said that i uh heartily co-sign this as well 
Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, definitely. You know, you, Matt and I. This is one of those shows. Like when it was airing, we were uh, uh, co fans of uh, at the time, which is a uh, Spartacus. The uh, Stars series, I, I want to say, put Stars on the map, although Stars never really took off like an HBO, but it did, it made them at least like, you know, it, it put them in the mix, I think, Spartacus, um, and and gave them their first real buzz, Party Down being a beloved, but like nobody watched. Well, show. as we'll see in our main event today, it was home to a couple Raimi Tapert series over, you know, right, at right. the same time. Yeah, so. um, but this was, you know, uh, again, we talked about how like Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert of after... Um, the Army of Darkness, you know, would really get into TV and Hercules and Xena, of course. Um, but this was like, you know, a, a big new show, uh, you know, that from, from that they were producing. Uh, they did not create Stephen Nestonite, uh, was the creator of. And it's a, uh, it, you know, it's a little bit, it's funny. I was thinking even with the title because it's just, it's just Spartacus overall. But the for every season had a subtitle, so when it began, it was Spartacus Blood and Sand, and we didn't mm-hmm. know till season two that they weren't going to just call the whole series Blood and Sand. Um, but uh, only lasted for four seasons, and um, I think it was what ten episode seasons, except the second season, which was the prequel, was only six. So yeah, it was. A, it was a well. The you can talk about the the tragedy that led to the prequel seasons, yes. which and the reason why it was only that many episodes. But yeah, uh, but yeah, you know. Uh, uh, this was a a great show that I mean, it, it, almost it was funny at the time that everyone involved with the show, while promoting the show, they they felt like they kind of had to lead with they all knew that the first four episodes weren't that strong, and so it was this funny thing of like, um, we would talk to people from the show and they would be like, yeah, you know, you kind of kind of get through the which is become almost like a more and more of like a uh jokey thing because in this day and age who has the time if you're telling me there's any like you know uh learning curve on a show even though it's very natural for a show i mean to... we did have more time back then <laughs> we did have more time this is a decade ago so more time but i would heartily recommend the show even though it does take those handful of episodes to find its footing um because when the show began all the promotion and matt's very well trafficked article at ign was about uh boobs and blood that this show was going to have a ton of sex, nudity, and violence, and gory, bloody violence. Like, By the way, um, promise upheld. Oh, uh, promise <laughs> completely upheld. It's just the early episodes made it seem like, oh, and maybe it won't have any substance. It'll like, you know, because certainly they were like leaning into that in those early episodes. And because the show hadn't found its footing yet, you're just kind of like, okay. Um, but this is obviously the story of Spartacus very famously told in the Kirk Douglas Stanley Kubrick movie um, in 1960. But this is the, you know, uh, now become another very well-known and beloved version of uh, Spartacus, the slave who would rise up uh, with uh, with his people. And, you know, as Matt mentioned, it's like it has a very sort of tragic story in the background because Andy Whitfield, who was kind of the unknown actor who was cast to play Spartacus and did an excellent job in the first season, got cancer uh, after that first season and sadly would pass away. And, you know, they were at the time when they didn't know what would happen. They were trying to delay season two. So they did a prequel season, which ended up being an excellent season of TV itself. And is one and, of those and characters th- from that prequel season would go on to the rest of the series and add a lot of substance to it. So, yeah, like. And I, that's why I wanted to mention that you absolutely shouldn't do the, oh, should I wait to watch the prequel after or even first? It should be watched in the order it debuted in because. The prequel season definitely 
uses your knowledge of what came in the first season, but it will also introduce elements that will then return in season three. And uh, I don't know if you call them three and four, I'll call them three and four. The next two seasons, uh, it all kind of works together. As, yeah. As so a it's blood and sand gods of the arena is prequel. And then yeah. technically the, the follow up to blood and sand is vengeance. And then the final is war of the damned. Um, yep. yep. And uh, yeah, it took a while because he, Andy Whitfield started going uh, undergoing chemotherapy and treatment for his, I believe he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And because of that, they filmed Gods of the Arena. But then he was uh, supposedly on the mend and he had recovered and he yeah. was in remission. And he, he did interviews at Comic-Con because yeah, he was going to start right. filming Vengeance. And then, yeah, he died. And so they recast. And that that's the thing is like he was... It, it was made, I don't even know if you could say it was made even more tragic, but it was, it's kind of that thing I talk about in entertainment news where they take things away and they give them back and take them away and give them mm-hmm. back. Well, it's like, yeah, so he was out and he was shelved and everyone was worried for him, but then he was back and everyone, we all sort of exhaled and we're like, oh, thank God, you know, and then, you know, the worst happened after that. Yeah, which is super sad. I don't want to dwell on that except to say- I know, because- I know. It, it's, yeah. it's except that to say, I always say this, he is magnetic and luminous in the first season and Liam McIntyre replaced him and the show never faltered. No, even with all of this, the show remained excellent and like coming up with a prequel series that they never intended to like, that still is absolutely superb is crazy that they were able to pull off the creative feats that they could given sort of the 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 cloud of this that sort of hovered over the production and uh and with the people who knew him too and having to work in sort of the vacuum of Andy Whitfield because of that so and that's right the the other thing I wanted to mention I I do feel again you can't prove this uh but that uh his illness and then eventually him passing away uh, you know, made everyone want to really deliver, right? Like, you know, obviously it's this huge sort of tragedy behind the show, but you kind of felt like after that, they were really determined to kind of do right by his memory uh, and, you know, really go go all uh, all the way. Like, again, the first season's great because it takes a few episodes, but then it fig- figures it out and it's great. But then after that, everything they were doing in the kind of the shadow of what happened to him is excellent and really just, it's, it's great TV. Uh, it is definitely, you know, not that I think anyone listening to this podcast is a bunch of prudes, but it is like copious, copious nudity, you know, full frontal nudity, left and right. I mean, look, and, and, here's the thing. Uh, a huge draw for that show before it started was that Lucy Lawless was going to be naked and having sex. Yeah. <laughs> like that was a, a big deal. Um, and I think a lot of the headlines were Xena, you know, Xena and orgies or whatever. I don't know. Right, so, right. It, it's also this, this. One of the things that takes a while to click, and you mentioned the first few episodes, is the style of speaking that they have, along with their absolutely cartoonish use of profanity that is very jarring and and kind of off-putting at first, and you don't know what to make of it until it becomes your favorite thing ever Mm -hmm. by like the fourth or fifth episode. And you've got me at like Comic Con asking John Hanna to scream out Jupiter's cock, you know, yeah, like yeah. in front of everyone because it is a very, very hyper specific way that they speak. It's also a hyper specific look to this series because it was 
in the era it is of uh, <laughs> from the ashes of the mega successful 300 that mm-hmm. we get the style of this show with the green screen and this type of sort of like slow motion fighting and stuff like that. So. Comic book influence. Yeah, for sure. The show uh, owes 300 a debt for existing, uh, getting the green light. But yeah, uh, Ramey and Tappert produced it. Uh, Tappert's wife, Lucy Lawless, who, you know, they met making Xena uh, is one of the leads at the beginning. And, you know, uh, I thought of it, of course, because we're doing Ash vs. Evil Dead, which would be their next project together. Um, it's great stuff. I'm, I'm not, Matt, I'm not going to name every actor in it. Uh, no, I'm but just you think- mentioned the fact that an absurd amount of them wound up in the Arrowverse. <laughs> a, a shitload of them ended up in the Arrowverse. Uh, one of them ended up in a Terminator movie we were just mentioning that wasn't good, Jai Courtney, although he'd kind of have his motion picture redemption as Captain Boomerang. Well, two like, of them would play Captain Boomerang, right? Because <laughs> Nick Terraby play I think you're Boomerang right. Yeah. Too in the Arrowverse? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Katrina Law got her star on this show. Got her start on this show. Um, lots of familiar faces. Uh, it is a show um that is like brutal with characters like they you know they, they kill like you know major characters or left and right will die the big new characters will come in but everyone's great everyone's going for it i think if you signed on to the show you knew you had to go for it in every single sense of the word um and or words and they're all great and uh yeah john hannah and lucy Lawless play like the slave owners the bad guys but then they get to be the leads in the prequel uh and they are sort of like you know chewing up the scenery in all the right ways uh, yeah, it's it, it's a really great watch. Uh, Visceral uh, goes for it. Uh, and uh, they recently announced like a month ago that they're doing a new sequel series uh, that Denight is back for. Uh, that they're developing. It's all kind of secretive right now. What it's Very about. Excited. Very exciting. Very exciting. But yeah, uh, Spartacus, uh, they're the four seasons, 36 episodes. Uh, you can watch uh, on Star. You can buy it. Uh, I don't know if you can rent it, but you can definitely buy it um digitally you could watch it if you get stars uh which again has some other stuff you could watch right now like party down uh oddly it's one of those maybe like they're just trying to entice you because the first season is on the broku channel but only the first season uh if you want all four uh you got to uh get stars for that or and if you don't know who john han is haven't seen the mummy movies um he was in the first episode the first scene of the first episode of the last of us uh which aired recently uh, as a scientist in the 60s talking about uh, fungal infections. But he is absolutely spectacular in this as Badiatis. And uh, basically, I was just so happy uh, <laughs> the prequel series happened because we could get more John Hanna. Like, that was one of the things. It's like, uh, he came with it. So I, I don't uh, I don't want to imagine a world where people don't know who John Hanna is. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I feel like people would know him. I just feel like he's someone people may not know him by name. They they might not. That's true. If I'm they saying John Hanna. They may if I show him a picture, they're like, "Oh, that guy." You know yeah. what I mean? So sure, I show pictures of John Hanna to people every day, and they're like, "I don't you know do, who this is." You do walk up to people the street. I do this. I take it to the streets when I'm demanding my Sam Rockwell returns. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Spartacus, check it out. It's uh, it's cool. It's great. It's hip. It's now. So another thing about the night agent, Eric. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that it's all at night no um i wish He's okay a night agent, an agent in a weird night. way i guess i am recommending that if you need something on that you don't want to like fully sure, if you want to sure. watch something and be on your phone the night Again, netflix that's what they're there for <laughs> that's true that's true okay uh 
So let's they just the- want the algorithm wants you to watch the night agent. They don't even want you looking at the screen. They just no. want it on. Yeah. yeah, they just want it on and playing. You are part of the billions and billions of hours they will <laughs> talk about, Matt. So there you go. I'm the reason they got a season two. <laughs> um, next week we kick off a whole new run here with uh, something that we've mentioned a few times over the years on this podcast since we've yes. actually been doing this for years now, which is the uh, era of prestige horror in the early 90s, which uh, was obviously Silence of the Lambs winning uh, Best Picture and actually you know sweeping a lot of that Oscars, being a big part of it, the first horror movie ever to do that, to win Best Picture, not be nominated because The Exorcist was as well. But win Best Picture, and then all of a sudden you had uh, top-line directors and stars joining the ranks of horror for the first time yeah. when it was such a dirty word for so long, for so many decades. All of a sudden, big-time celebrities and fat cat directors were getting their grubby little hands all over the, the horror genre. And and with uh, actually some excellent results uh, for yeah. the most part. Not always, but for Not the always. most part. Yeah. And we're going to kick off with Misery next week, a Stephen King adaptation directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, won uh, an Oscar in its own right. And yeah, and you can watch that on HBO Max. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that. I haven't seen Misery in a long time. So I mean, I'm actually excited to watch all these movies, even the ones I know aren't good. Um, there's a couple. I, I shouldn't yes. say that because no, no, there so is long, a, there but... is a couple I've seen on the list that aren't great. Yeah, um, uh, but I'm just excited to revisit um, a bunch of kind of interesting. They, almost every one of these movies is like interesting directors and filmmakers and actors. Yeah, uh, this, should, so, this yeah. should be a fun run. Misery with Kathy Bates and James Caan. Um, man, did this movie, this movie really launched Bates' career through the 90s. Oh, because this movie no, was in nineteen ninety. No one knew she, she was a stage actress. And yeah, this yeah. was, yeah. And then, uh, and then she was in every movie. <laughs> yeah. For like the next six, seven Including years. Including so, like yeah. another Stephen King movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, Claiborne. All mm-hmm. right. Claiborne. So let's get into <laughs> Ash. Yeah. Just, just Claiborne. <laughs> Special agent Dolores Claiborne. Uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. Um, okay. This was a time when so many things that Eric and I loved as kids were coming back to us in ways we never imagined. And I think this and like Twin Peaks were coming back where the announcements for these projects were this, very close I, together. I was thinking about this yesterday. Yeah, very this, close together. And, 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 and like, the, the, th- the, tr- the three for me that I thought about watching this were the fact that we were getting a new Evil Dead starring Bruce Campbell as Ash, Twin Peaks was actually getting a revival, and that Wet Hot American Summer was getting that's its right, series. Right. Those were like three, none of these should actually exist. Like, like this is ridiculous. I'm so happy. But honestly, honestly, crazy. the Wet <laughs> Hot American Summer was the biggest surprise. Totally, totally, yeah. You could mention Evil Dead and Twin Peaks to someone and they'd know who it was, not like John Hanna, but yeah. like uh, you could say Wet Hot American Summer and only a very small circle of people would know what that was because, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it was just the time when uh, we were the return of things we never thought we'd get more of. And, you know, it wasn't the only things like the X-Files had come back. Not everything that came back was great. Like, you know, just like every astronaut. That I, don't know. I mean, I mean, great. Arrested <laughs> Development <laughs> was uh, a notable disappointment as far as like, yeah, it's back. And then it's like, oh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, an indicator. Yeah, who would have thought that like the best seasons of that would have been the network seasons? Sure, you know, we yeah. we we were just already um, 
presuming that anything that was like non-network would obviously be better. The the shackles are off, Eric. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Turns out the shackles were needed. Sometimes okay. shackles are good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about the title, Ash versus Evil Dead. And it was very sort of indicative of Bruce yeah. Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. Why do you think it was at not Ash versus the Evil Dead, Eric? Why do you, do you have any? An I think on just that? at that point, even though the first movie was it, do you think it was for SEO purposes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I just just the first movie is called The Evil Dead, but because the sequel was called Evil Dead Two, most people would even refer to the first one as Evil Dead. So I think it was just a hey, that's what people think of. Obviously, putting Ash's name in the title was a major thing because they wanted you to know. It's like putting Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Like right. we just because want you to know <laughs> what well, we just had in 2013, the reboot with right. no Ash except for the. And which I mentioned, the there end. is a yeah. contingent of people who were just going to automatically not really give a fair shot to because it wasn't what they 100% wanted from Evil Dead at that point. Uh, so this was like, hey, it's Ash. It is ashes in this, and he's and guess what? He's going to be fighting. Who's he going to be fighting? <laughs> Evil Dead. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, there you go. And so we should mention at the top two, as we go through, we have two episodes here. One is called El Jefe. It's actually directed uh, and co-written by Sam Raimi. His first time uh, helming uh, an Evil Dead thing since Army of Darkness. And then uh, second one called Bait, which is not directed by Sam Raimi or written by him, but it's uh, part of the writing staff. Uh, that because of uh, contractual rights nonsense, uh, they were not allowed to reference at all in any form Army of Darkness or anything that happened in it. Yeah. In the first season of the show, the show lasted three seasons. Yeah. This was cleared up by the time season two rolled around. But yeah, this is why there was no S-Mart in Ash versus Evil Dead. And he works at, what is it, Value Stop or something? Yes. And doing yeah. press at the, because I, I did a lot of interviews for this show when it debuted. I interviewed like all the you know main cast and the producers and I remember their um you know their explanation was like we just assume S Mart was purchased at some point by Value Mart. I but mean yes, in, yeah, in a perfect fine, world, yeah. in a perfect world, he would have been working at S Mart. And obviously, when they do flashbacks, it's footage from the first two movies, but not of Army of Darkness. And he doesn't mention. And I went back in time. Yeah, he, he never mentions that. that. <laughs> he traveled back to 1300 and was the prophesied hero who fell right. from the sky. He leaves that out. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's Ash. He could have just neglected to include it. But yes, it was a thing. They Even though because um, I actually, Matt Fowler, reread your review of the pilot of this last night at IGN. Oh God, I probably said some stupid ass thing. <laughs> it's just very racist. No, it is not. Um, but you mentioned something that is very interesting and funny about this show, which is they couldn't directly acknowledge Army of Darkness, but this Ash is the Army of Darkness. Okay, Ash. yeah. They, yeah no, so like, I did put that in my notes. Is yeah. that the, 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 the biggest thing that you, the biggest takeaway from Army of Darkness is that the Ash that we met on that in that uh, movie remains yes and even even in the in the franchise's tradition of dialing everything up in subsequent you know follow-up stories he's even worse and more obnoxious and more everything than he was even in army of darkness yes <laughs> because he he was a total you know uh you know uh absurd jerk in that movie and then he's even more so now 30 years on and we should mention that this is 
uh, hard R show, not just for gore, but like there's there's bathroom fucking. Like, right, is, right. Is, is this the the first and only sex scene Sam Raimi has ever directed? I can't remember. I, yeah, uh, probably right. Um, also, I know we mentioned this weeks ago, but it's also funny that um, uh, this was just this interesting, strange period where Sam Raimi, though actively producing a lot, did not direct a movie in between Oz the Great and Powerful in 2013 and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness last year. This is the only thing he directed in between uh, those two films was the pilot. Was this like 40 minute episode of TV? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, okay, yeah. So let's get into it. This Ash um, is listening to Deep Purple. We open with Space Truck in a very classic Deep Purple track. And man, Ash just getting ready for a night out on town. They do a montage trickery with like, oh, is he putting on weapons? No, he's putting on a girdle. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Campbell's hilarious. Him jamming out to this song, drinking a high C juice box, is abs <laughs> is irreplaceable. It, it, is, it belongs in a museum. Yes. It is so childish, like because there's there's sort of the the Lothario element of like, hey, I'm making you know, I look good. Look at my ass. He gives himself a wink, but then that just saying he's like a twelve year old doing that, like right, right. with his juice boxes. Um, especially since we know he does harder drugs and, and drinks harder substances than that. <laughs> right. Within the next 10 minutes, we find that out. Um, and so not only I, is this a, a uh, Army of Darkness portrayal of Ash th that we're getting, this is also the first time we're actually really going to kind of spend a lot of time with Ash with other people and get a full characterization of Ash because it's a TV show. Yeah. Right. Like, this isn't, we're going to learn about Hash, and Ash is going to learn about himself, whether he <laughs> likes it or not, yes. because... We're yeah, going to get as, to know the inner Ash here. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get to know his his actual story, where he lives, and the people he grew up with, you know, eventually on the show, his father, and all this stuff. So, uh, uh, this is the deep dive of Ash that maybe you never actually did want, but you're going to get anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's and then it's funny with um space trucking, which is the first of many uh classic rock uh songs they're going to use in the show. Uh, again, it's like you know, again, we don't even know, like, until this show, it's like, oh, I guess Ash likes classic rock now. It totally fits, he would have grown up in the 70s, it makes sense. It's just never, it never came up before. It also is funny because it's reminiscent of um, uh, Supernatural, of course, uh, driving around in an old car. Uh, blasting classic rock, except this character. Well, would have been the and right that's the other thing him. is that they had to give him characters. They had to create a team on this show, and that's a big yeah. part of the second episode as they go forward. Because it's not just you know they it can't just be a movie where Ash <laughs> enters a place and leaves on his own, or is in a cabin just by himself, not really talking to other people. <laughs> what if it was? What if it was like Poker Face? And just yeah, like... <laughs> just, look, that would work too. Yeah, uh, they didn't go for that though. They actually decided to give him. Uh, uh, uh mentees here and like successors perhaps as far as like even mentions to kelly in the second episode that she was a lot like him and sort yep. of as the show goes on if you guys stick with it and haven't watched it uh they set up like her as a, as a heir apparent to ash mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, pablo has his own journey and everything but um uh which is also set up here like literally talks about how his uncle's a shaman yep, yep. in the first episode so and right. as you, uh, and also you mentioned in passing uh, that uh, uh, this was on stars. So this was, you know, stars post Spartacus, uh, you know, ordering more series. But 
specifically staying in business with Rob Tappert and Sam Raimi. Um, and Lucy Lawless, who yes. is a bigger part of the show than you would think coming out By of the, the first, first two episodes. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she appears briefly in the first episode, but then not in the second episode. Very briefly. She has like one line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we won't give away who she plays on the show, but yeah. So yeah. If, for those who haven't watched it and want to see it, but yeah, uh, she is a much bigger part of this show. And um, it, it is fun because this was an era because of very specific Rob Taper productions that she was acting quite a bit. She's on a show now that films down, down under. It's a, like a mystery show in a small town. I can't remember what it's called. Um, 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 yeah, this, you know, since Lucy, since Lucy, Xena and uh, Hercules, all their shows have filmed in New Zealand, including this one. Uh, that's just like, Oh, I forgot to talk about my Lucy story with, as it pertains to Spartacus. That's fine. Um, uh, the, the, I, I worked in coffee retail, everyone, like for years, I was a manager at, for Pete's Coffee and Lucy Lawless was a regular. And we were just friendly in that way. And then when I made the transition to entertainment journalist is when Spartacus was very, very soon, like not long before Spartacus started up. And so for her, for me to go to like the set of Spartacus or go to an event, I think this was a TCA event for Spartacus. Yeah. And for her to see me and be like, hey, you were the person who was making my coffee. Uh, Make me a coffee. (laughs) She's like, go get me a coffee. Uh, you know, I like it, bitch. Uh, no, no, but she was so kind and great, grateful yeah. She's and great. Li- wanted me to meet Andy Whitfield because no one was talking to Andy. Mm-hmm. The show hadn't aired yet. It was it was TCA's because that was the thing. Yeah. Panel, and no one was talking to Andy because of the people who were appearing on the panel. He was the one who no one knew. Yeah. And we've ta- we talked about this funny thing at TCA because I know I told my story about um the first damages panel and no one was talking to Rose Byrne. And I right. talked to her for a while. Because it was like Glenn Close, and like even though she was the the lead, the uh, co lead of the show, it's just like not yet. Like we don't know. So you yet. yeah, Lucy was ever so kind, and was like Mateo, come meet Andy. And so I talked to him for a while, and um, and then I would see her on and off again for Spartacus junkets and so on over the years, Comic Cons and stuff like that. And so it was always delightful. Anyway, um, and um, then okay, I'm gonna tell my quick story. I have yeah. other I have other Lucy Law stories, but maybe another day. But my first Lucy Law story is that when I worked at the Virgin Megastore, um, and not sorry, this is a warehouse, my my second uh music video retail job. I worked at warehouse and I was wearing an Army of Darkness t-shirt, as I <laughs> will do. And uh I a and a couple had walked in and it was a very attractive brunette woman, and she said, Oh, a nice shirt. And I was like, oh, thanks. And I can't remember what she said about like, if I asked her if she was a fan or vice versa. And then it was like, it took me a second to realize I'm talking to Lucy Lawless. And then she nods over and goes, well, he produced it. And because at this point, as much as I love Sam Raimi, like Rob Tappert was not in in my head Like what he looks like? Yes. And I certainly didn't know what he looked like at that point. So yeah, uh, that was uh, my, my quick encounter with them. Uh, and her pointing. I remember out. Lucy Lawless asking me if I enjoyed Spider-Man three, and I <laughs> lied to her and said yes. <laughs> and then, and then you know, I you know, I forget what we were talking. We were talking literally about the dancing and the stuff, you know. And she's like, "Oh, I love it, pure Sam." She said. So anyway, <laughs> it was pure Sam. It was pure Sam. Pure Sam Raimi. Okay, back to Ash vs. Evil Dead. And Lucy Lawless, who's not really in these first two episodes at all, even though she's a main character. Okay. 
we uh yeah so he works he's going out for a night out and he goes to uh he's he's uh he has a lizard named eli he grabs two magnum condoms and he goes to the woodsman 10 minutes before it closes so that he can uh uh problematically seduce someone who's probably had way too much to drink right in in a bathroom lying about how he lost his hand uh, even though he does say it was 30 years ago today, he's right about that part, but he said he saved an eight-year-old from an oncoming train. Does the, then, very, the very funny in a lot of ways he saved me. Um, quick quick sure. cut to them, just him railing her in the bathroom. But then she turns around and he he gets a, a flash of a deadite and it's all mm-hmm. in his head, but he doesn't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> he's so ridiculous in this. This first episode. <laughs> Absolutely so ridiculous. And then comes one of the best things I've seen in the past decade, which is him wondering why, if he accidentally <laughs> unleashed something and having to pull from his, you know, weed soaked memory a night in his trailer with a with some woman where he decided to just read the he's gonna read and it's so funny when there he's like laughing maniacally as she reads the words <laughs> and oh and also he's like he's like it's inked in blood <laughs> so, yeah, like like again obviously playing off our familiarity with this the lore of him <laughs> i sing that i also but, by the way just backing up for one second to say it also made me laugh a lot which is the after he she deadites out the woman in the bathroom, although he still goes back and has has more sex with her. That then he is driving home and he's still singing space trucking, but he's doing it all scared. <laughs> like he's, he's not all confident. He's like, come on. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but like when he when he remembers stuff. what happens and he goes, Fuck. I I just remember how well that played at the Comic-Con screening. <laughs> I bet I did not get to be at that Comic-Con screening and I, I can only imagine that, that went over huge. <laughs> anyway, really good stuff. Um, yes. And and it just goes to Ash versus Evil Dead. And then we get Raimi Cam and we meet a, a, a different character for a little while, which is um, Amanda, as you would say, and can't <laughs> hardly wait. <laughs> Here's the thing about Amanda, Matt. I forgot Amanda existed, which kind of speaks to how exciting this character is. Yeah. Uh, okay. Was, so nothing, kind of nothing against Joe Marie Jones. No, no. It's, it's just, just, it just doesn't. It's And it's, again, it's funny, as Matt mentioned, Ruby, Lucy's Lost, will be a big part of the show. Wouldn't know that from the first two episodes. And Amanda doesn't really take off as a character, even though they're clearly trying to like make her a big part of this. And it's just, yeah. It, it is what it is. So th- there's a lot of dead-eyed action in this first episode. The first, though, comes to us from Amanda's character, who's investigating stuff in a house with her partner. She's a Michigan State trooper. And, yeah, we get a lot of the bloody stuff. Though, for the first time, there is, there are there is practical blood here, but also CGI blood, which is something we're not quite Hated used it. to. <laughs> yeah, not quite used to with because, Evil Dead series. Because this is two years after... Uh, the 2013 movie, which at that point, again, we're now so far into digital effects that the 2013 movie made sure to make a big talking point. All our gore and blood effects are practical, you know, that there's minimal digital stuff here. Of course, there's always some digital stuff, but that most of that, you know, all that carnage you saw in that movie, 
the vast majority of it was being done on set. And again, this movie, like you just said, it's like there's a ton of practical effects in it. And people are getting splattered in the face, especially in the second episode when he's like cutting the guy's neck with the bottle and stuff and it's going all over. Yeah, there is that. But then there's the moments like the headshots in this scene that are that are CG and just kind of like they're just not evil dead. We're going for like brand recognition here. Yeah. And it it yeah, it is jarring because this because the actual controllers of this property for so long have, you know, hung their hat on certain bloody elements. And this is this sort of broke from tradition in a big way. Yeah. Um, it's also funny. I was rewatching it last night. It was like, it's also a funny, uh, it's a, an odd inevitable transition of just the fact that it's a, a glossy modern TV show, just because those first three movies, you know, are low budget movies that look it. Right, know, like, like Ash's you, Ash's shirt looks so blue and like, right, so, right. you know, and so this this is just like visually, and, and because the 2013 movie made sure to be very grimy, uh, but this is like it's very crisp, and uh, mm-hmm. you just kind of have to get used to uh, the 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 visual difference. Uh, even has yes, there will be copious amounts of uh, blood. I mean, th- that was uh, something they talked a lot about about how much fake blood they had on set of this show. And you definitely believe that. So if you look at this scene from somebody who's never seen an Evil Dead movie, it does establish like what these deadites are before Ash fights them. What they can do if if you're one of the uninitiated, which is to say like her partner gets possessed, but then can transform back and seem normal and crying and then attack again. Pulls a Linda. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, but yeah, she gets stabbed in the hand. She also, you know, there's like a lot of headshots and goopy shots to uh, the Deadite's head, including her partner's head, where she shoots off. And uh, some of it looks good. Some of it does not. <laughs> and she, we're just kind of left with her, I guess. When do we, do we see her? Not till the next episode? I felt When's like the diner saw... scene. When's the I think no? That's... that's that's in this one because yeah, Lucy okay. Lawless is only in this one of the first. But two. is that the? But is that the next day for her? Probably right because it's the so. next day for Ash. I think it's all lining up. It's supposed to line up at the same time. Yeah. And um, yeah. So that's Amanda. Uh, Amanda Fisher is her character's name. Uh, we don't look. We're not doing the whole series, so we don't have to talk about her more. But that was like the our first intro to Deadite action here. Before we get back to Ash, as he just decides he needs to skip town. He's like, I fucked up. Uh, he not without trying to help though. He does contact the guy at this bookstore, Books from Beyond. He's he wants to undo what he did, but he's also not sticking around, and so. He uh, uh, goes to work just to get his paycheck, but is roped into basically doing a whole shift because he won't get his check until at the end of the day. And and well, two, two things that made me laugh here a lot were one just I hope one was the light bulbs. <laughs> well, that's two. One okay. was um, just the fact that his name tag makes sure to say and both as information for the audience, but also just because it's funny like stock boy like it says like just so we know he has like a lowly position that in this job that he's like a middle-aged guy who's you know has not risen the ranks at all but yes my god the the physical comedy of dumping that box of light bulbs walking on them and sweeping them under the pallets while also like going <laughs> like to to the bulbs i don't know who he's shushing but 
It's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, is the boss name Mr. Roper after Three's Company? I don't know, but um, Let's say that's that's my head cannon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's just looking to skip town, and this is where we meet uh, Ray, Sandi Ray Santiago's Pablo, and then uh, Dana De Lorenzo's Kelly, mm -hmm. who will go on to be part of Team Ash. I can't remember what they call themselves. Ghost. No, Ghostface is a supernatural. Do they call yeah. themselves something in this? Ghost beaters. Ghost beaters. <laughs> is that it? That's their team in, in, in the series going ahead. But anyway, they're the ghost beaters. And uh, they, as you mentioned, they also appear in the last year's Evil Dead game. Which, by the way, I just read more about uh, last night. I definitely got to get this game, Matt, because <laughs> it's, I mean, the thing about the game was they got every, you know, all the studios on board. So it's like, Mia and David are both in it from okay. 2013. Arthur and Henry from <laughs> Army yes. of Darkness. Yes. And Pablo, <laughs> Kelly, Ruby, and Amanda are all oh, in wow. it. Um, Cheryl, his sister's in it. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> the whole gang. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and a lot of the actors reprise their voice, um, but not all. Like uh, Jane Levy did not. Um, but, uh, and it's not, and not the actor who played Arthur. I know the actor who played Henry passed away, but Lucy Lawless, uh, you know, like most of the, most of the Ash versus Evil Dead pe people, except for the actors who played Amanda, uh, voice their roles, Bruce Campbell voices. Anyway, sounds, sounds like it's right up our alley. I might have to play it before Last of Us 2. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you've got a little while before Last of sure, Us 2 sure. comes out as a show anyway, yeah, that's true. but, um. Uh, yeah, so we meet Pablo, who is sort of like in awe. He's basically under Ash's spell. He thinks Ash is the coolest, even though Ash is, you know, uh, Ash represents to him what he thinks is <laughs> somebody who hasn't made, you know, would would uh, would uh, exude, even though Ash is, by all accounts, a loser. Even though, I mean, look, is he a loser if he thinks he's doing great? I don't know. Like, right, objectively, right. like from an outsider looking at a, a, a lanyard that says stock boy, it seems like he's a sort of a go nowhere, but he seems he's content he seems in his life. Yeah. He seems happy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Pablo wants to watch Monday night raw and uh, relatable wants, wants to hang. <laughs> and he also, he's sort of his flunky at work. He covers for him, but then he mentions that he got his upstairs neighbor, a job there. And she, this is Kelly played where, um, uh, Ash is sort of like there's sort of like a weird sexual thing teased between them in the first one where he hits on her and she fights back but then she's sort of smitten by him very briefly when she sees him kill deadites at the end of the episode uh, yeah I don't think that's it was ever of, I don't think it was ever supposed to, yeah I don't think it was ever supposed to be though that oh this is setting up that actual no thing no no no, no. I just want to let people know if they're watching this for the first time that's that, that's dead in the water that yeah <laughs> yeah I think it's just it's just a funny moment at the end that because he becomes like full superhero Ash. So that that's the thing. It's second like, seem what like we're getting cool here. When, yeah. When we talk about army of darkness, it's the mix of the complete buffoon with the, the actual prepared survivalist ass kicker, like the, the mix of capable and incapable together in one package, yes. which is Ash as far as like, like an idiot that he's portrays himself in the first half of this show 
it's not the same guy who would have that pop-up shotgun in his floor, but they still <laughs> managed to coexist together. <laughs> and it's about the duality of man, you know? It is. It's all about the duality of man. And CGI little evil dolls biting him in the face and knocking his fake tooth out. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. More uh, CGI uh, stuff. Eh. Obviously, yeah. Although, obviously, the scene with the doll attacking him gets to be the most similar to him finding his hand and evil did to complete with him taking all those uh pots those terracotta and pots and like and smashing, smashing them, in them into yeah. his face uh as much as i wish that it wasn't such a digital uh doll in the close-ups that sometimes it's just a funny little uh thing on his face uh seeing bruce campbell beat himself up obviously gives sam raimi great pleasure and it yes. gives me great pleasure Sam Raimi was hard for like the first time in 30 years. <laughs> I've missed this. Um, I missed this. Uh, I, I definitely enjoy the um, way when he tells Pablo his story, which is obviously also there to tell people who haven't seen these movies, the story, how it's literally projected onto the walls and onto the, you know, things around them clips. Uh, it is funny. Again, we've talked about the very, the, the loose mix and match continuity of this, ser- this series. And this one really goes all in on it because he very specifically says, me and my friends. So it wasn't just him and Linda, and they show footage from the first movie. But, but they also, obviously, he, he had to chop off his hand. Yeah, he had to so. chop off his hand, and they show footage from the second movie as well. And the, they use Linda number two, except for when she's possessed. Uh, I noticed special thanks, thank like you know all them, all those actors. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a big, big mix and match of the first two movies. Linda Shemps. Uh, they <laughs> yes. they also um, some of the lines he says to Paolo are taken directly from like the voiceover from evil dead Two, or are actually army of darkness when he's like my hand went bad so i had to lop it off um yes like so they they army of darkness exists here and there just not directly mm-hmm. so okay so then um basically <laughs> after the doll attack in the back and pablo kills the doll with a, with i think a shovel or something yeah, a shovel he uh he tells him he recounts about like what happened to him, all the things. And he thinks that he's awakened a big evil. They see a sinkhole on TV. And this is where they kind of have to do this quickly. Cause they want Pablo with him. Pablo mentions his uncle is a shaman. And he's talks about, he, he like those in 1300 AD mm-hmm. immediately mark Ash as like a chosen one figure, like the one who can vanquish the evil as, uh, or, but is called by Pablo and his family, El Jefe. And he's like, you are El Jefe. You are the, you know, the, the foretold one who is going to save us all. And uh, he kind of calls him that throughout the, at least the first season. And I laughed quite a lot at uh, saying you got the wrong Jefe chief since (laughs) Jefe, it means chief. (laughs) Again, it's the Bruce Campbell delivery that really uh, sells all that. <laughs> I also laughed at, okay, so while all this crazy stuff's going on, Kelly, who had already mentioned to Ash that her mother had died in a car accident six months previous, uh, is talking to her dad on the phone while there's sinkholes opening up outside the woodsman and crazy stuff happening. And mom has returned home and she's freaking out. And as... Uh, Ramy Cam is headed toward Value Stop. They escape just in time. It crashes through a car and stuff. It gets the the their boss. The boss but, gets kind of the um, final shot of Evil Dead, like flying into Ash's face. Happens. Yeah. Uh, Pablo takes her to see Ash, El Jefe, his hero. And I laugh so hard. It's just a basically 
she's like doesn't know where he's taking her and she when she she doesn't even know she's going to see ash and so like they go into his trailer and she sees him and she goes oh this idiot (laughs) (laughs) um uh i will mention that uh we get one more Amanda scene, but it's again, it just doesn't work for me. It's when she goes back to the house and she finds the little scrap of her partner's shirt and says, it did happen. Uh, I was like, Oh, all right. Uh, But yes, when Kelly and Pablo show up and even like, again, because like, obviously they're taking the piss out of Ash left and right. The fact that he lost a tooth fighting the doll, but then it turns out he's wearing dentures. Like he just swaps him out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then they get attacked by Deadites, his actual neighbors, Vivian, who we had actually met earlier, and another guy who I don't know his name, but like they attack his Deadites. And this is when we get finally get Ash superhero moments, some big crowd pleasing uh, beats here from throwing the axe and chopping the hand to the pop up shotgun and, you know, keeping with Army of Darkness, shooting, you know, behind basically aiming the shotgun behind him and like shooting without looking like that's and, far and taking so place. claiming the like button up blue shirt as like his superhero costume that he's wearing it underneath the underneath his value <laughs> stop <shirt>. yeah <laughs> he tears off the red shirt to reveal the blue shirt underneath and and then yeah like even the uh when he pulls kelly towards him and his little like sexy spin to to tear her belt off because he needs it for his shotgun holster uh, slash chainsaw holder. Yeah, it's just a big fun ending to this, which is you know, and and Pablo and Kelly get in on the the action here where they get uh, attacked. Pablo gets stabbed. Kelly almost gets her eyes gouged out. They've got that shot of the nail. But she gets she gets her, she fights back pretty hard against her before that happens. Yes, and uh, then it all culminates with the leap through the air chainsaw hand connection, which is made even funnier, not just by Ash flying through the air and Bruce Campbell on wires or whatever, which looks silly, but Pablo throwing the shotgun, like kicking it up with his foot somehow. like Because he stabbed like, to the wall at that point. He has to yeah. pick it with his foot. Uh-huh. And it somehow gives it, he can do it. It's not he- too heavy that he could do that and send it hurling through the trailer. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> and then, yes, the... um. The fact that he, when he chainsaws off her head, uh, Ash gets some blood splatter in his face, but most of it goes on Pablo, which is just a very funny thing of like, you know, yeah, like now he's got sidekicks, so they can also kind of take some abuse here of just, and this goes even further in the second episode, but yeah, like like Pablo just sitting behind as but, like, but in the next episode, by... he and Kelly get covered in blood as oh, yeah. he chainsaws her mom. Like yes. they're just laying on the floor, like getting covered as he chainsaws her stomach <laughs> and her head. Yeah. It's like, it really, it always plays even more like, like money shot, like porn, like, yeah. you know, uh, but which has always been somewhat the case, but now there's more people <laughs> to, to, um, involved. And, in and then he get he says it, he says the thing, Eric. He says it at the end. He does. How are you feeling? He says groovy. Ends the episode. Perfect pilot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, so much of that uh, Taylor made for Comic-Con played really well. I'm very sad. That's a, a great regret that I wasn't at that screening that night. I had some sort of conflict, I remember. Uh, your conflict was, like, I hate screenings. I hate the, Evil Dead. The, the two two things I wish I would have been with Matt at at Comic-Con. I mean, again, I was at these Comic-Cons. They just had conflicts 
were that screening and the Childish Gambino concert <laughs> that you went to. Uh, that was just a concert. You could have gone to that. No, no, but I had something that night. I mean, I would have gone with you. I just, it was something. Oh, else. okay. Yeah, yeah. That was just, yeah, he was just, he was, it wasn't like at a Comic-Con panel or something. No, like no, that. I know. He was but playing I'm just, House of Blues San Diego. Yeah. But he wasn't coincidentally in San Diego. It was, it was all, you know, uh, part of the, part know, of the stuff going on. All right. Um, and uh, I mean, you probably wanted to remember when I was at the Mar- the uh, the Mattel panel and CM Punk came out, but he he wasn't with WWE, Eric, and he no. he he yelled at Triple H, and everybody Craziness. pulled out their phones. Okay, let's see. Second episode, bait. Um, not as fun as the pilot. Obviously, Sam Raimi did direct it. I'm not saying Sam Raimi can only direct <laughs> this show, but, but it, it is fun. notable to see. Um, even though obviously. <laughs> At this point, Fede Alvarez has already directed an Evil Dead movie, but a movie that was trying to be something very tonally different. So this is the first time we're ever having anyone kind of definitely try to do Sam Raimi, as all directors will for this series, uh, especially in the part when they're um, like fighting in the living room, like and it's like the cameras behind like on the chainsaw or the shotgun. It's on the shotgun. And it's just interesting to see like now people are definitely trying to use this is, I mean, look, this is typical for a TV show, right? Like the the director of the pilot establishes tone. It's just that Sam Raimi is a very distinct director. Uh, so now it's going to be like other directors kind of trying to, to to do that. And some will do it better than others. So uh, MJ Bassett uh, actually will direct the next two. Mm-hmm. So this is just the second one, Bait. And it's actually also not, uh, written by Dominic Dierks, who will go on to write other episodes, part of the staff of this series. And it's notable. It's not the 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 humor isn't as much there. It establishes a lot going forward as far as like it has to get Kelly on board. Pablo's already kind of on board because of how much he idolizes Ash. But this one was really meant to sort of bring Kelly into the fold because there had to be a reason for that. And it, the whole episode, it's about 10 minutes shorter than the pilot, involves her learning that her return mother, who comes back with an amnesia story, Played by Mimi Rogers, very notable actress, actually. Who, so, uh, our second Mimi Rogers project, because we did Ginger Snaps on this podcast, is um, plays her mom, and uh, by the end, her mom and dad, her mom is still dead, and her dad is dead, and <laughs> uh, and then she basically kind of makes a vow to like fight deadites and vanquish the evil alongside Ash because she's angry and has nothing left and all that stuff. So. That was sort of the crux of this episode, um, along with giving Ash and Pablo a lot more time together as sort of a comedic duo. It doesn't all fully land a lot of the time, but there are some funny lines here and there um, because Ash believe Ash knows that her mom is a deadite, but because they don't know that deadites can switch back, uh, which the audience does now thanks to the pilot. Uh, they just think that it's a sweet, sweet, innocent mother with amnesia yeah. uh, as they all sit down to dinner together. And yeah, it's really just a one track thing. It opens with a big action scene in a car with their boss, Mr. Roper, attacking. And this all happens splattering before the opening, you know, like the opening title. And, and uh, very funny, to very bloody stuff happening. The way Ash kills Roper with the <laughs> bottle over and over and over, and thankfully none of this is digital. Um, where he just keeps stabbing him in the throat, and it just keeps covering Pablo, who's cowering on the floor of the car, is really funny. Um, and then when they cut the title on this one, 
Um, I mentioned, you know, previously that Joseph Veluca, you know, scored the original trilogy and he came back for this. I think he scored Spartacus too. Um, but uh, the like uh, guitar version of like the classic Evil Dead theme that plays at the beginning of this one when we go to the uh, the cut to title. Also, I also uh, Ray Santiago is very good. Like he he made me laugh a lot when he um it's like a little thing, but when he's just talking when he's just talking about how he says something like I really don't want to fight those things again. Uh, just you know being the guy, he's not like a cowering like you know character, but just he's a very like practical character. Uh, and well, also I, he's dealing with a stab wound, we assume, in his arm yes. too. Ah, yeah, from the first episode, and probably he's like I don't want that to happen again. Um, sure, sure. So, um, but like the thing is, is like he's not a coward because he he wants to learn under Ash is the thing. He'd rather not fight them again, but he also doesn't want to like all of a sudden leave Ash on this journey. He wants to go with him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's never he's never a coward. He is he, supposed to be there for comic relief. And a lot of that comic relief and uh, the the outset of this series has to do with him having a, a super crush on Kelly. And so a big part of this, too, is like wanting to impress Kelly and not wanting Ash to embarrass him in front of Kelly's newly resurrected mother right. and, like, and like father at this dinner and wanting to be cool and like, you know, nice. But also like, hero worshiping Ash, because it's very funny when he's like, it was so cool when you said heads up, like, you know, like uh, just kind of in, in awe of this guy. Yeah. Um, also, so very yeah. Uh, very funny when. um. Because you mentioned like Ash is even bigger dick in this show than when we saw in Army of Darkness. And it was established in the first episode. Like he uh he like runs his car to like his neighbor's property and it's just like it's, I can't remember what he says, but he just insults him. And like yeah, really- well that yeah, he does. Um I'm trying to think what he what he's saying, but basically the guy was like like uh the the guy goes, I didn't know his name, but he was always a real asshole to me and my wife <laughs> at the uh, trailer park. And he's like, Yeah, I'm sure he was. Oh yeah, and there was yeah. There... <laughs> I can't remember what the exchange was in the first episode, but it's like he drives off and just Ash yells at him, "Fuck you" or something like that. <laughs> like, like yeah, 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 like for no reason. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's he's is just a dick to everyone around. But that's the thing; it's like so he's being a dick in this, and they're saying that, and to the point where like when he punches her mom and then her mom turns into a dead eye he says oh good i was starting to feel like a real dick (laughs) (laughs) which um played really well and then we should also mention that uh because there are mixtape elements of the evil dead uh movies that came before this there is a hush little baby nursery rhyme sung by the mom uh and it didn't even need to be established earlier like hey remember that song we sang as a Mm -hmm. kid it's just a, it's a motherly thing to do, and B, it's from Evil Dead. So yeah, mm-hmm. Evil Dead Two, that song I believe. And yeah, so just to this was really a, just a one track episode. It was a visiting Kelly's house, seeing the mom, uh, the mom trying to like fool um, Kelly and basically everyone, though not fooling Ash, and then being revealed as a deadite, and then the fight at the end, which is. Um, was very bloody again. All everything sprayed all over Kelly and Pablo. And speaking of things from the previous Evil Dead movies, Ash built and it's called out here. We mentioned already how silly it was that he built wooden crosses for everyone, even yeah, in yes. when he buries his own evil self. He has a wooden cross that he made 
painstakingly makes and somehow ties together. <laughs> it's the one that it's like the one super respectful thing he does, right? <laughs> and he does it twice here for her mom and dad, only for Kelly to say that they were Jewish. And that he, he actually says, you could have told me that before I made these stupid crosses. <laughs> Um, that is great. Uh, has it, uh, has his, uh, when he says, uh, I'm no grief counselor, but if it's any consolation, uh, I have had to kill and bury loved ones before. Uh, cause again, it's like, you know, Kelly's going to be motivated by this, but we're not going to, you know, this is not a show where we're going to like wallow in her grief. So, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Cause yeah, you, she needs to sort of be galvanized going forward. And he says, and he even says, it's like, you're kind of like a young me deadites ruin your life and you're hot as hell. Like he's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. setting her up. Um, you mentioned uh, again, that uh, this Pablo and Kelly getting covered in the blood of Kelly's uh, fake mom, <laughs> but deadite mom. Uh, also the dad getting killed with a fork to the eye. And yeah, I did enjoy like, again, it did that, the sequence where uh, when he, you know, starts like shooting it, uh, Deadite Mimi Rogers, who starts crawling on the wall and the camera's kind of like right on the uh, shotgun and sort of seeing someone kind of like doing their uh, best Raimi uh, in, in that part uh, is it's, it's, it's fun stuff. It is fun stuff. Um, even when the episodes of this show weren't, um, you know, exactly great a it was always an entertaining show uh i think it's worth the ride i think it does some interest again it really does dig into ash's past quite a bit and it eventually does answer a question we brought up a few weeks ago which is what did everyone think when ash came home and everyone he Mm -hmm. went out to the woods with including his girlfriend were dead (laughs) right and he comes back with a crazy story um Uh, yeah, it, it, and like we said, like yeah, kind of kind of mixtaping everything, so the elements come in, um, you know, direct stuff. Um, and we can mention, I think that yeah, the actress who played Cheryl in the first movie comes back as Cheryl, uh, in you know, Dead ID ways or Evil Dead ways. Um, yeah, and also there are some crazy gory moments. Like you know, they definitely again. Uh, I mean, I remember talking to Danny Lorenzo about like, yeah, it's just like the amount of like the the literal like, you know, uh, literal buckets of blood or like, you know, uh, uh, just barrels of blood that they would have on this movie and on the movie on this show. And they definitely go very, very uh, far with it. Uh, I, I I realize, Matt, I, I I have not seen the last few episodes of the show, so I'm going to remedy that. Oh, wow. OK, yeah. so, yeah, th- this show also and because I tease the fact that this show ends with kind of a new take on the alternate ending of army of darkness yeah and not it's not the same thing but yeah it it definitely does uh go in different directions so yeah i didn't realize you hadn't even seen the last few episodes so that's interesting um i should bring up too and this is just a fun fact eventually michelle heard joins the series uh who you'll know from a lot of things including if you're watching picard Mm -hmm. um uh and uh shows like Blind spot and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, married to Gary Dillahunt is that uh, plays Ash's high school girlfriend, Linda. So again, he's only dated Linda's his entire life. We assume that this was the first Linda, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They make they make that a joke about the if you're trying to decide if he was the one and two or the same, but uh, be like, there's another there's another Linda. Uh, I didn't know Garrett Dillahunt and Michelle Hurd were married. See, I'm learning fun facts left and right. Oh, they're Uh, one of my favorite hot couples. I love them. And then at the end of season one, 
Um, and the first thing I'd ever see her in, Samara Weaving is in several episodes. And oh yeah, the first time we saw, I believe, Samara yeah. Weaving. And it's her, very fun and, and two very funny things about that, which is she gets covered in blood, which obviously you're not shocking on this show, but also would become a Samara Weaving uh go-to. Um, you know, it was funny that her and Jenna Ortega both being in Scream Six when they're a they very quickly established that they will probably be covered in blood in the projects they work in. Uh, but Samara Weaving, especially because she's, you know, just done a bunch of horror stuff in a few years and often ends movies uh, bathed in blood. But do you remember, Matt, when um, it was some MAGA, some people we don't <laughs> agree with uh, when they were there was like a, a, a viral thing of like Ike Perlmutter. It was like, look what happened to this poor girl walking by like a a blm protest or something or antifa did oh yes and it was it was from it was it was literally from it was samara uh, weaving and ash versus, versus evil, evil dead, dead. Yeah. yeah and they were uh, and, and people and of by course antifa once, or something and, and yeah. it went super viral because people are idiots and you know just just you know yes i do remember stuff. this yeah and then people being like that's samara weaving and ash versus evil dead uh ah the internet for truth <laughs> burns bright yeah uh only ever producing good things that heal our society <laughs> yes internet. yes and no lies found all right yeah well we were so here's the thing we were obviously going to spend more time talking about the sam raimi directed pilot episode which is a, a a smidge more entertaining than the second episode not that the second episode's bad but yeah it uh uh had a lot more uh goofy gags and crowd pleasing moments to do uh mm-hmm. bringing ash back into our lives and into the world of evil dead once more and uh and it, it, again though bruce campbell had worked in television for years god how long this is after burn notice yeah burn notice was like burn, six six, six or seven seasons he got maybe? his own tv movie in he the did he of get a, got a sam Ax tv movie yeah seven seasons of burn notice 111 episodes of that which show. a lot of people would only know him from that right like yes that exactly be, exactly yeah. and that uh a uh, huge huge shout out to the uh the book ending burn notice gag on poker face uh that i very much enjoyed oh, i have to watch the poker face finale oh you didn't watch the poker face finale no. okay good i'm glad i didn't go into it more than that okay um do you remember in the pilot when benjamin bratt character bratt's character mentions detective michael weston even though he wasn't a detective no i did not catch that okay so you maybe should watch the poker face pilot again <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I need to watch it again just for that mention, but uh, I don't know, Eric. What don't you? What do you remember from that if at all? Bird Notice was seven seasons plus a Sam Max movie, uh, yes, which is uh, yeah a heck of a run when USA. We should mention the fact that like we didn't cover all. You know, once upon a time when Eric and I were at IGN and we were covering the the TV beat, um, the it wasn't the the land the cultural content landscape that we have now of too much shit mm-hmm. which is to say like now you have to decide what not to cover yeah because not only is there hundreds of shows but so many of them are actually tailor made for quote unquote geek culture because that became pop culture in the last decade mm-hmm. uh once upon a time we had to hunt and search for not just uh geeky sci-fi fantasy genre things to cover tv wise but hopefully good things like we not everything was battlestar so uh usa had their characters welcome and we covered a few i think we we tried to cover something like there were weeklies of psych i think because Mm -hmm, it's silly mm -hmm. and funny and people liked it 
we didn't do weekly as a monk or anything like that. But Burn Notice, which was for all intents and purposes an action series, we covered because it had Bruce Campbell in it. Yes. Yeah. That it was the big was selling Bruce point Campbell's, to like our realm. Yeah. Bruce Campbell was it was his first highest profile thing he had done in a long while. For sure. And it was, uh, you know, yeah, it was a, it was a cable series and he was uh, a big part of that. And um, I think that's where I saw him do his, most of his acting before that, because everything else was evil dead or a B movie here and there. But yeah, as Sam acts, he, I think, I don't know. I haven't seen interviews about it. I feel like he did his, he did 111 episodes of TV in his movie. That's the most he's ever done of anything. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, yeah, just, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, a bunch of people, that was that was what they knew him for. Um, and then just, yeah, as we wrap this up, and obviously we will talk about Evil Dead Rise, but as we wrap up this, for now, you know, the sort of Bruce Campbell ash of it all, it's funny where we left off now because, so this show ran for three seasons, Um but the video game came out last year that obviously Bruce Campbell participated in and a bunch of other actors. And I saw that like last summer he talked about how there was possibly going to be like an animated series. Thing is Bruce Campbell, he, if right now, anytime he's asked about, well, we would play Ash again. He's like, ah, I'm too old. And you know, and he's like, yeah, I'll do voiceovers like the game. And if there's an animated thing, but I'm too old to do it now. And no, you know, and I can't run around doing that. Of course, never say never. If Harrison Ford, I'm not going to mention Indiana Jones because that's something he's always fucking loved. But if Harrison Ford could return as Han Solo in his 70s, I don't think we should take Bruce Campbell at his word that he'll never play live action Ash again. We'll see. Um, but in the yeah, meantime, but what kind of Ash? So here, it, yeah, Han Solo isn't a human ping pong ball. Though, no, no, far as yeah. like no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do get it. I mean, there are limitations, uh, but yeah. We'll Han see. Solo in every movie gets sprayed in the face <laughs> with massive amounts of you, fake blood. So you've seen those cuts. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll see. But in the meantime, yeah, it's like Evil Dead. Again, it's just funny that something that started so small is just perpet- like the amount of merch, the amount of like, you know, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness t-shirts. And like I said, they're all licensed separately because they're all owned separately. And there's constantly from all these different horror sites putting out new shirts that are, you know, uh, new merch and action figures and NECA figures. Um, so it's just, it, it, it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving, obviously, for all involved, for Ramey, uh, Campbell, and Tappert. Um, and they're still doing all this stuff like the game and maybe an animated series. Uh, but we'll see the future holds because right now Evil Dead Rise is about to come out. And again, there hasn't been like an Evil Dead movie that's led to more movies since Army of Darkness, you know, because um, 2013 didn't get a sequel. So we'll see what happens right. with Evil Dead Rise. But but so but movie. but but we're still of the opinion that it's Evil Dead Rise is in the same universe as the reboot. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I think, again, it's it's as much as the reboots in the same universe as the first three. It's like if you want it to be, it is, you know, there's a book. Someone right. reads it, bad shit happens. You know, I just, I just think like because it's more tonally like look like the actual grittiness of it is in line with the previous movie. Again, it's just it's yeah, it's all what you decide because again, the book didn't look like the book from the trilogy in 2013, but the book in Rise doesn't look like either of the other books. So yeah, it's it's but I think it's it, it's all connected as connected as you want it to be. It all it's all fine. It's all good. 
All right. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, until next time, everyone. Uh, everything is possible, but nothing is real. And shock. I couldn't even hear you. Say it again. Shock. Ah.